Okay, good evening. Wow. What a time of worship, hey? What a God we've got. Woo! Oh, I could just carry on with that. <laughs> I better say something. I'm supposed to, aren't I? So, um, we're preaching through the book of Galatians, if you hadn't picked that up. Um, partly in response to a word from a guy called Steve Backland, who um, is a good friend of this house, came and did a conference here earlier this year. And uh, he said... Whoever reads and gets Galatians is truly free. So, uh, I want that. So, that's partly the reason. Partly the reason is it's just good to preach through a book. uh, The discipline of just going through a book chapter by chapter. So, it's something we do from time to time. It's actually quite new to me. I've never done this before. So, I'm quite interested to see how it's going to turn out. It's the first time I've... I normally get given the free reign to just go with whatever God's talking to me about. So, so, um, this is new ground. It's good fun. So this book, uh, Galatians, is Paul's defense of our freedom in Christ against a group of Jews who were infiltrating the churches in Galatia and trying to reimpose the Jewish laws on those Gentile believers. And, uh, and this prophecy from Steve Backland and this book both resonate with Eastgate because we are a house of freedom carriers. You know, there's freedom here, isn't there? There's freedom in our worship. And actually, like Dave Carter said this morning, freedom is something that should be in every church. Should be, but, but we are pioneers in this area. We are called to bring, you know, to build beachheads for freedom. And uh, we have a really strong culture of freedom here, don't we? Um, but freedom will be challenged. And we have to stand firm in defense of that freedom. That's the message of this book. So I'm preaching on chapter 2 this evening. Um, so uh, let's start by reading it through. Just uh, before that, I'm just, just, let's just pray. Wow, thank you Holy Spirit, you go ahead of us, you've been moving tonight powerfully, your presence is here, the freedom of God is here, thank you go before us, wow, I just pray that you will lead me into truth as I lead these people, as I speak to these people and lead us all into truth, just speak to me as I'm preaching and speak to these guys as I'm preaching, amen. Okay, so... Without further ado, Galatians 2. Um, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas and John, Cephas is Peter by the way, it's just interchangeable. Um, James, Cephas and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. 
When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him face to face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his, his, in his hypocrisy, sorry, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So, if you were here this morning, you'll know Dave Carter brought an excellent word, and he spoke on verses 1 to 5. And he talked about protecting the truth of the gospel Specifically, he spoke about how the new covenant results in the abolition of circumcision and the restoration of bacon. (laughs) Definitely worth a download, I promise. So do get that and listen to it. I'm I'm, I'm picking up from verse 6, but um, he spoke a great word on verses 1 to 5 this morning. So just for context, um, Paul's writing in this chapter about how he went down from Antioch to Jerusalem 14 years after his dramatic encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road, where he was blinded. Wow. And then he got his sight back, don't worry. Um, and, he, and he's presented to the other apostles the gospel he has been te- as, as he has been teaching it. So, he says of those guys, whatever they were makes no difference to me. His motive for doing this, for going down and presenting his gospel, was not fear of man. He wasn't seeking recognition. It says, actually, he was doing this in response to a revelation, like God had told him, go down there and chat to them about this stuff. He was very confident in his gospel. In chapter 1, he talks about that a lot. He he had no fear of man. And indeed, later on, you'll see, he challenges Peter and calls him out as a hypocrite when he appears to be compromising on the gospel. So he's not scared of, you know, telling it like it is. He's not frightened of what they think. You know, he's not, not there's no fear of man. And then he says, after he's submitted the gospel to them, they added nothing to my message. So when Paul submitted his gospel to the apostles for scrutiny, the outcome was they agreed with Paul that the gospel is a gospel of grace and freedom. Brilliant, eh? (laughs) So like Dave said this morning and Mark said last week, Jesus plus something else equals nothing. If you add something to what Christ has done, you end up with nothing at all. Yeah? Jesus plus nothing else is everything. You just need the cross. You just need Jesus to be saved. You don't need anything else. 
If you add something to the gospel, you'll end up with what chapter 1 verse 7 calls no, really no gospel at all. Remember, the word gospel means good news. Okay? Having to go back keeping laws, especially one that involves significant genital surgery, is not good news. I'm, I'm, some, I'm, I'm surprised the men were more vocal about that, actually. <laughs> you ladies probably don't care, do you, really? <laughs> so, moving on. Um, on the contrary, they recognized that I've been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, that is, um, to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, that's to the Jews. So, what's going on here? The apostles recognized Paul's calling as an apostle to the Gentiles as kind of complementary alongside their call to the Jews. Right? This, is, this is really all about honor, isn't it? He's, it, says that, it also says they, they extended the right hand of fellowship. Yeah, they built relationship together. It's really important that we recognize there are different expressions of church out there that are just as legitimate and valuable to God as we are and that we're not all meant to be the same. Okay? Just as like within one church, like this church, Eastgate, we've got many, many people who are very different and very unique. And we, that's kind of, we talk about having a culture of honor here, don't we? Um, we talk a lot about calling the gold out in each other and you know, valuing the different gifts and building something together that's stronger because we're all complementary and we work together. Yeah, it's, it's the same with churches. I know this is a great church. I really firmly believe this is a great church. Okay? But we mustn't think that we're the best. Yeah? We're called to do something particular, and we're good at what we're doing, and we're trying to be the best we can at what we're doing. But other places have different emphases, and God has tailor-made them for the area or the people group that they're there to reach and minister to. Okay? And we should have fellowship with one another. And we, and we do. We're, we're involved with Churches Together, Gravesend. David's got a big part to play in that. And, you? Um, and uh, you know, we're actively involved with churches in Living Fire as well. So there's a group of churches there together. We're quite like-minded, building something great together. So, uh, yeah, so, so honour for other churches. We, 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 haven't, we haven't got it all down. There's other places that have got stuff to bring to this. And then in verse 10 he says, All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing I'd been eager to do all along. Right? As on Paul's heart. Simon Pettit preached an amazing word in New Frontiers about this that's kind of stuck with everybody ever since, I think. It was just one of the most amazing preaches on one sentence I can remember, really. While I've just said that different churches have different callings and, you know, all that's true, it does seem that there is one thing that all churches are called to do, and that is to care for the poor. Yeah, we're certainly doing this as a church and I'm not going to go to, in, to any depth on that um, because actually Carol Webster did recently uh, on the 21st of July when she spoke about community transformation she spoke about uh, the Sanctuary Homeless Shelter and uh, Gravesham Food Bank that we're involved in and other bits and pieces if you missed that, again it's on the podcast 21st of July uh, you can get it on our website eastgate.org.uk and if you're part of Eastgate particularly and you missed it, I think it's really worth a listen to know what, what what we're, you know, what we're involved in and what we're doing, because we all should be playing a part, whether we're participating or just praying or paying for it. We should all be involved, right? And there's some great testimonies in there about what God's doing too. There's some really good things God's doing, so it's worth a listen. So now to the real meat of the passage: um, the showdown between Paul and Peter in Antioch. So. Paul is calling Peter out because, unlike Paul, Peter has let fear of man cause him to modify his behavior, in front of the Jews particularly. 
Okay? So it says he was afraid of the circumcision group. Um, this is this group of Jews called the Judaizers who wanted the, 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 the Gentile believers to obey the law, wanted them to get circumcised particularly. I can see why you might want to resist that. Um, and uh, he gave in to their demand to, to, for him to act like a Jew by separating himself from the Gentiles when they were around. Here's why we must resist, okay? Fear spreads. The others pick up on that and they start joining in. Even Barnabas, who's, Barnabas has been out on mission with Paul. He's been around all the places in Asia. You know, he's, he, he must have heard Paul preach this gospel of freedom a hundred times or a thousand times in the journeys that he's been on with Paul. But even he gets impacted by this and starts getting sucked into this kind of, well, what Paul calls hypocritical behavior. Paul calls it hypocrisy. What's the root of the hypocrisy? Verse 14, he says, Peter, you're a Jew, but you live like a Gentile, i.e. you don't keep the law. And then when these other Jews turn up, you start acting like you do keep the law by separating yourself from these Gentiles. And then you start imposing Jewish rules on the Gentiles, making them start keeping Jewish customs. Right? You're not doing what you say you believe. You're not acting out your faith credibly. You're a hypocrite. Verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified. We're saying we're Jews and we've tried to get salvation by keeping the rules and we know it doesn't work. Paul knew that better than most people. I mean Paul was, he was like the ultimate Pharisee, wasn't he? He calls himself the Pharisee of Pharisees, right? If, any, if anybody was able to do everything right by the law, it was Paul. And even he didn't get it right. Do you know it's possible to do everything right and still get it wrong? Yeah? Let's pop over to Luke 18, verse 18. This is Jesus and the rich young ruler, right? And uh, this young ruler guy asks Jesus in verse 18, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies, verse 19, you know the commandments, you know, don't kill, don't steal, don't murder. Yeah, yeah, says the, says the guy. Yeah, all of those I've kept since I was a boy, right? I've, I've, I've done that. I've kept the law. And Jesus says, hey, great. One thing you lack, sell all your stuff, come and follow me. Now, that's not in the law, right? <laughs> come follow me. And he can't do it. He goes away sad, doesn't he? So keeping the rules isn't following Jesus. It won't get you to heaven. If, if it did, the Pharisees would have had the front seats, wouldn't they? I, I, I often wonder what made the Pharisees be the way they are. I think they, you've got to go back to history. They were exiled from, from Israel for 70 years because they, 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 they turned their backs on God, right? I think they were so paranoid after the exile that they made extra rules on top of the Moses rules to make sure that they kept the Moses rules. And it doesn't work. John 5:39 This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have eternal life. The scriptures, the laws are there to lead you to him. It's not what you do. It's who you know. Right? It's who you know. 
It's also possible to do something wrong and still get it right, by the way. Okay, in Matthew 12, Jesus mentions how David, the King David, ate the showbread from the temple that it, was not, uh, it wasn't lawful for anyone except priests to eat. Actually, they could only eat it when it was going off. Right? And David was hungry, so he just went in there and helped himself. And God calls him a man after his own heart. Okay? You, can, you can do something wrong and still get it right because you, you're following God's heart. You know, if you know his heart. By the way, at the end of that, Jesus goes on to go and heal somebody on the Sabbath after he's told them that story. <laughs> I think it's, he did it almost to show them, look, it's not about the law, okay? <laughs> Verse 16. We know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So regardless of whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter. The law will not save you. Okay? The law will never save you. It doesn't matter what your background is. Keeping the law cannot save you. If it could, we wouldn't need Jesus. The cross would have been pointless. Right? Verse 21, down the bottom. If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. In chapter 3 next week, you'll hear how the job of the law is to bring us to him, to Christ. Like I just said about the Pharisees searching the scriptures. The job of that is to bring us to him, to Christ. Faith in Christ is everything we need to save us. We need to know him. You convinced? (laughs) I'm going to jump to verse 19 for a moment. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. See, Paul's firm conviction is that the man who he used to be, the guy that tried to keep the law, died with Christ on the cross. That man is a dead man. This isn't a figurative death as far as he's concerned. Spiritually, it's literal. That man has spiritually died. He is now a whole different person. That is how separated from the law he is. The guy who had the relationship to the law is dead. He's not resting or stunned like Monty Python's famous parrot. He's not nailed to the perch. He's nailed to the cross. He's dead. He is an (laughs) ex-Pharisee. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. He's now alive as a new person, a new creation, living only by faith in Jesus, who is alive in him. Wow. Just hear the clear affection in his words when he says in verse 20, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He loved me and he gave himself for me. Paul knows the love of God. Not just about it, he knows it by experience. He has experienced the love of God. And now he lives for God. He knows God. And because of that, he also knows his salvation is secure. The Holy Spirit lives in him, and the Holy Spirit is testifying in him. It's like David was saying this morning, the Holy Spirit testifies that we're children of God. We don't need anyone else to tell us that. The Holy Spirit comes and gives us a conviction. We are children of God. Not because he kept the law, but because Jesus loved him. It's not what you do. It's who you know. So my question is, 
Are you trying to keep the rules or have you put your faith in him? Do you know Jesus? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that when he went to the cross, he gave himself up for you? He willingly subjected himself to the hands of sinful men and the torture of the crucifixion because he loved you and he wanted you. He loves you and he wants you. And he knew this was how he could save you. You can be free from striving to save yourself and just receive his love right now. Just put your faith in Jesus Christ. That is all it takes. Nothing else. Just put your faith in him. If you haven't done that before, why don't you do it right now? Just in your heart, just say, Jesus, I'm putting my faith in you. I trust you. I trust you. I don't need anything else. I just trust you. If you did that, you don't have to tell anyone because that's all it takes. But it's really helpful to do that. It's really helpful to talk to someone else about it. They can help you get some foundations. They can help you learn more about this amazing Jesus Christ. So do come and see me or come and see Dave or Elias at the front or the person you came with or whatever. Just, uh, just put your faith in him. That's all it takes. So forget the laws. Forget the Ten Commandments. Forget all of it. We're free. Woo-hoo. We don't have to keep the law anymore. We're righteous because we know and have faith in Jesus Christ. That sounds like good news, doesn't it? No surgery required, gentlemen. Oh, yes. We're totally free. We can do whatever we want. We can even sin. Well, technically, yes. That is the logical conclusion of this argument. And it's why the gospel is so offensive to religious people. Put yourself in their shoes. Here I am doing all this stuff and you just walk in here acting all free like you own the place and doing whatever you want. I mean, come on. It's like, if that's true, it's like Christ is enabling you to sin. I mean, come on. Wait a minute. Let's go back to verse 17. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean Christ promotes sin? What's his answer? Absolutely not. Okay, we, we can sin, but it doesn't mean he's encouraging us to. <laughs> okay, so, so should we still keep the law in then, sorry? Should we still keep the law? Just, just, you know, not in order that we get saved, just because it's the right thing to do. Should we do that? No. That is precisely what verse 18 is warning against, right? <laughs> if I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. If we try and live by the law, we just end up proving again that we can't. And by the way, later on in chapter 5, it says, if we choose to live by the law, we have to keep all of it, circumcision included. Oh, surgery's back on the menu. (laughs) No. Thank God we are dead to the law, remember? This question always comes up, actually. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who preached a a several-year-long series on Romans, said, if you preach the gospel and this question doesn't come up, you're probably doing it wrong. Okay? Can I carry on sinning then? If you don't get to that question, you probably haven't preached it right. The devil loves to ask us these questions, okay? Or he loves, sorry, he loves us to ask these questions. Does this mean we can carry on sinning and get away with it? Ooh. Why? Why does he, why does he want us to do that? 
I'll tell you why. Because it takes our focus off of our relationship with Christ. And it puts our focus onto ourselves. And it diverts us from our real purpose, which is to be world-changing kingdom carriers. That is the goal of Christianity, right? The right question isn't, can we still sin? It's, why would you? If you know the love of God and you know that you're a new creation and you have Jesus Christ living inside you by the Holy Spirit and you have a purpose and a destiny and a calling and a kingdom to build, why would you go back to sinning? Why would you? What's the point? There's so much more to do. Hebrews chapters 5 and 6 talk about this teaching about righteousness as elementary truths like, like spiritual baby milk. You know? It encourages us, I've just put it up on the screen, but I'm not going to read it. It encourages us to move on to what it calls solid food, maturity. And it talks about that as training ourselves to distinguish good and evil. We don't actually need the law to tell us when we're sinning anymore. We know. And the Holy Spirit will help us figure it out. Right? Live by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Right? That's later on in Galatians, I think. Yes, you can still sin and you will. It's just not in your nature anymore because you're a new creation. Another sign of that maturity is how do you handle it when you do sin? What's your instinctive behavior when you've sinned? Think about the last time you did. (laughs) No, maybe don't dwell on that. But, you know, what did you do? How do you deal with it when you sin? Does it depend on how bad a sin it is, maybe? Do you run to God? when you sin or do you run away and hide and kind of let things blow over and die down for a while and then kind of come creeping back and just get yourself warmed up in the presence stand at the back in the worship maybe don't raise your hands yet you know and then just work on it for a few weeks and build it up and build it up until whoa yes that's right i've forgotten about that now i can be free again that's not mature is it we talked about david earlier right being a man after god's own heart there is one episode where david got it spectacularly wrong i'm going to look at it okay it's in 2 Samuel 11. Okay, so it's when he, <laughs> he's supposed to be going out to battle, right? And uh, instead of going out to battle, he decides, I'm going to stay at home and do some sunbathing this week. And, uh, and I'm going to let the army go and fight without their commander-in-chief, because like, let's face it, we're Israel, we're invincible, they've got it down. We'll be okay. So he's up on the roof, you know, taking it easy, sipping a pina colada. And he looks across the the way and he sees another woman or a woman over there on the roof her name's Bathsheba and he thinks whoa cowabunga I'll have a bit of that so he sends someone to go and get her because he's a king and he can do that he's got people that do things for him so he's like go and get her and bring her over here and uh, you know one thing leads to another and he commits adultery with her obviously he's king so it's quite hard to resist that so you know I don't know how much it was her fault but uh, He commits adultery with her without any remorse and he gets her pregnant. Oh no. How am I going to deal with that? Uh, Right, Uh, okay. Um, So then he tries to cover it up by getting her husband, Uriah, who, by the way, had gone to battle and was one of David's mighty men. And and, and he brings him back from battle. He obviously goes, right, yeah, Joab, you know that guy, Uriah? Yeah. Yeah, just, um, I don't know, give him some paperwork to bring back. I need to chat to him. Just, you know, send him, send him back. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Okay. So Uriah comes, traits him back. And he says, oh, thanks for the papers. Yep, cheers, Uriah. Don't, tell you what, mate. Don't rush back to the battlefield. Have a night off, okay? Go, go spend the night with your wife. Have, you know, just go, and, just go and chill out. And, of course, Uriah is a man of integrity, and he won't have any of it. 
So he's like, no, no way, I'm not. How can I do that? My brothers are out on the battlefield dying. There's no way I am going to come back here and enjoy time with my wife. That would just be unrighteous. It would be wrong. I refuse. So Dave's like, Uriah, Uriah, come back in. Come in, come in here. Have a beer, mate. Come on. Let's, let's sit and chat. Have a beer. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Oh, got a bottle of uh, Jerusalem special single malt whiskey in the cupboard. <laughs> So, you know, he, he basically plies him with alcohol and, 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 you know, says, right, go, go home, go on, go and see your wife, go and go and see your wife. Obviously not too much alcohol, I guess, but, um, but Uriah's still not having it. He's, you know, alcohol doesn't make him uh, throw his morals in the bin. Great, good guy. Um, so he's just like, no, I'll sleep on the front doorstep. I'm not going in there. I refuse. So David's like, oh, what am I going to do? Okay, Joab... You know that guy Uriah, yeah? Yeah, um, when he gets back, stick him at the front of the battlefield, yeah? Yeah, yeah. When it gets really, really intense, just, um, just pull the rest of them back, you know, you know. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, mate. Yeah, enough said. Don't tell anyone else, yeah? All right. So, so basically, he conspires to get Uriah murdered because that's his way of wiping out the problem. So he's gone from adultery to murder, Right? And uh, I know I said we know when we're sinning, but I mean, it takes a word from a prophet before David even realizes he's done anything wrong, doesn't it? Nathan has to come and tell him, tell him a story and kind of get him sucked in. And then he says, that man is you. And and obviously, then Dave realizes what he's done. And so Bathsheba has the baby. The baby dies. You, You know the story. My point is this. What is David's reaction after all of that mess? How does he deal with it? Does he hide away? 2 Samuel 12:20. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Straight back in the sanctuary. Straight back into the presence of God and worshipping. And not only that, he then writes a number one hit psalm, Psalm 51, as a result of the whole thing, right? That is incredible. The brass cojones of the guy. I mean, come on. How can you? I, I honestly think, I think if I did something like that, it would take me 20 years to get back in the presence of God, if I ever did, you know. Don't misunderstand me, though. Sin still has consequences, okay? I mean, in this story, it's not a story, it's a true story, right? A man and a child died, Okay? And if you read on, the kingdom of Israel was torn in two because of what David did in this instance, right? Sin continues to have very serious consequences, even though we are no longer under the law. Um, if you steal, someone has still lost something. If you, if you hit someone, you've still hurt them. If you kill someone, they're still dead. The cross doesn't usually change that. There may be occasional miraculous interventions that fix things, but generally speaking, God allows you to reap the consequences of your sin when you sin. Yeah? It's just one of those consequences is not losing your salvation. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Even when we sin, we still have eternal life. That's good news, isn't it? Right? And God knows what you're going to do anyway. I mean, when Peter screwed up, right, Jesus knew it was going to happen, okay? He even predicted it on the way to Gethsemane, okay? Luke 22, 31 to 34. Simon, Simon, 
Satan has asked to sift you, uh, sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Simon, Peter, Cephas. How many names does a guy need? Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's confusing. Same guy, okay? Simon, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So I, I actually used to think Jesus told Peter this in some kind of hope that it might actually stop him from doing it. You know, I'm, I'm warning you, 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 you know, you're going to deny me before the cock crowed through three times, you're going to deny me. I actually think Jesus was resigned to the fact that it was going to happen. I think he foreknew, it was prophesied in Zechariah, right? Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Yeah? But look at God's heart in this. I pray for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Where is his focus? Even before the sins happened, his focus is on the restoration and on Peter's mission. Right? He's, he wants Peter to be a kingdom carrier, world changer. He knows he's going to sin. But he's like, that's not going to get in the way. We'll just deal with that. This is what you want. When you've sorted that out, this is where we're going. Okay? Even before he did it. Isn't that incredible, Grace? Oh. Jesus went to the cross to take sin out of the equation, okay, so that we can move on to what he really wants us to do. Right? It's not what you do. It's who you know. Isn't that great? Wow. So, shall we stand up? Let's just respond. Wow. God, we just thank you for your grace. What amazing grace that we don't have to do anything except trust in you and have faith in you. I thank you that your Holy Spirit has come to live in us and that he testifies that we are children of God and that we have a destiny and a purpose in you. Wow. What a God you are. What a gracious, loving Father you are. Yeah, I just pray as, I'm, as we're standing here, just reveal what people's destinies are. If, people have, if, if, if you guys have got something that you know you're carrying that you should be sorting out, just repent right now. Just deal with it. But let's not take long times over it. Okay, let's just say, Jesus, this is my sin. This is what I did. I give it to you. Thank you that the cross takes it away and I'm restored. Okay? You done that? That's dealt with. That's it. As far as the east is from the west, the sins are gone. There's no, the north to south is a measurable distance, by the way. The east to the west is eternal, isn't it? Because you can keep going east forever or west forever. Right? There's no east pole or west pole. You just keep on going. That's how far away he's taken your sins right now. That's it. It's done. It's dealt with. Now, Jesus, reveal destiny and purpose to your children, to us, your children. Just reveal more of the great things that we are called to do. Reveal more of the kingdom that we are called to carry. Reveal more of the love that we are to share with the world. Reveal more of your love to us, that we might know your love in a more deep way. Help us to keep short accounts with you and to quickly move on when we sin. Thank you that your grace is so amazing that even before we sin, you've planned our next step you planned to forgive us before we've even repented you are such a lovely god you are such a loving god you are so amazing thank you jesus
Amen? Here we go.